Welcome to this podcast from the Vessel Collective Church here in the heart of Texas. Our mission is to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for His purpose and His kingdom. We thank you for sharing in this message here today. Man, can we thank the Lord this morning? There we go. Man, so good. You know, sometimes I like in worship, uh, it's the area, like going into ministry is the area that I feel like in my own life with the Lord that I've grown the most with. It's just my life of worship and what worship is and what it means. And, you know, sometimes you're in worship and like you're singing these, these words out to the Lord that are true because he said so. And like the Lord starts speaking to you, you know, it's like he just starts through the music and through the lyrics and through the truth of the songs that the Lord just starts preaching right back to you. You know what I mean? And so I wanted to get in the back this morning. I want to be like, give him like the, just keep going. Just keep like, let's just worship all morning. Cause man, that spoke to my heart. So thank y'all so much for leading us in that. And thank y'all for being here. If, if I don't know you, my name is Jake Toman and I serve as a lead pastor here at the vessel. So uh, if you are joining us through church at home or here in the room, thank you so much for taking time on your Sunday morning, on a foggy Sunday morning, to be here with us and to join together as the body of Christ. And so thank y'all for being here. That's when you say you're welcome. There we go. Awesome. And thank you for joining us online. You know, this is the second Sunday of the year. We've had like kind of crazy weather. We had the snow day and you guys still came and now the fog. Uh, I was driving in this morning early and it was pretty foggy. So uh, thank you all for being here. So the past, as we've kind of kicked off the new year 2021 with 2020 in the rearview mirror, we've been talking about vision and our vision as a church. So if you're new to the vessel or you're interested in finding out more about who we are, this is a great opportunity for us to really dig in to see what is it that the Lord is calling us to do. And, and I'm going to say this every week. So if you're tired of hearing this, I'm going to say it next week and the two weeks after that until we're done talking through the vision of our church. But I'm gonna talk through what that means and why it's important and why we say it's what we do. And so our mission here at The Vessel, our, our, our mission, what we feel the mission statement that God has called us to do is that the Lord has called us to be vessels of the living Christ, set apart for his purpose and his kingdom. And the truth is, is that's true about every Christ follower. If you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian, if you have been, if you have found salvation in the Lord, that is true about you, period. Um, We have core values here at the vessel. And so I've used this image as kind of this ship. And so if, if the, if our mission statement is who we are, our identity, then our core values are kind of our guiding principles. And they're the coordinates, so to speak, of the direction that the Lord is calling us and, and somewhat our guardrails as we move forward in our vision. And so our four core values are generosity. Thank you, Dustin. You're sitting front row so I can hear you. Authenticity. Perfect. Generosity, authenticity, unity, and humility. Thank you, Jana. That's awesome. Generosity, authenticity, humility and unity in no particular order. And those are not more important than other values. They're just the values that we feel like the Lord has called us to hold in the highest regard and to be these guardrails of sorts as we uh, are faithful to him. And so vision 
is really the what we do. It's the wind in our sails is what we've talked about. So our vision here at The Vessel are these three things. Our vision is that we are to pursue as vessels, that we are to pursue inward relationship with one another. We talked about that the first two weeks of this series, what it means, the the statement of one another, why that's important to that vision. Because biblically, New Testament, over a hundred times in the New Testament, are we called towards relationship with one another. And it's always talking about the body. It's always talking about Christ followers. So it's, it's an inward relationship toward one another, hence the arrows pointing in. Um, the, the second thing that we're called to pursue as vessels, we're, we're called to pursue an upward relationship with God. And that is what we're going to be talk, begin talking about today and tomorrow. And finally, it's an outward relationship with the world. And so these are the things that we do. And so kind of the, the pace that we've set as we talked about inward, it's the first week of inward because we're going to talk two weeks on each one. The first week on inward, we talked a little bit about um, what that is biblically, what it, what it really means to be inward relationship with one another. And then the second week, we talked tac- tactically, what does that mean and how do we do and how do we execute that? And so in the same sense today, we're going to begin talking about upward. And, and our, my hope and my heart and for this morning is that we get a true sense of biblically, what does it mean to be in an upward relationship with God? What does that really mean? Every one of us in this room has a relationship in our lives, whether it's with a friend, whether it's with a mother or father, whether it's with a child or a spouse or a neighbor or coworker. We are relationship experts, not that we do it in an expert type of way or with excellence. We are broken people and relationships are really difficult. But we are experts at doing relationship because every one of us in this room, every one of us participating through church at home is in a relationship. And the truth is, is when it comes to the Lord, it is no different. It is that the Lord wants a relationship with us. And I want you to know that is a powerful, powerful truth. And there are, I, there are no words that I can say that, that can properly articulate how miraculous it is that the creator of the heaven and earth wants a relationship with you, wants to know. I mean, we see that song, you know my name. Oh, how you walk with me. Oh, how you talk with me. Oh, how you tell me. And that is amazing truth. And so... As we look this morning, I want us to look at, um, at we're going to be looking in the Old Testament at 1 Samuel chapter 13 this morning. We're going to have the scripture up on the screen. I'm going to give you a little bit of, so you just know where we're going to go uh, this morning. So we're going to talk about King David. Uh, and if you know anything about King David, the Old Testament, uh, he is a significant uh, character in the, in the story of the Bible and played a significant role in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to talk about King David. And as we, as we discuss it, I want us to, we're going to start in 1 Samuel 13, whereas we really get this introduction of who David is, his identity. And then we're going to jump through the Psalms. And I'm telling you, it's going to be, if you want to look all of these up, you can. I'm going to have them on the screen. You can write them down. It is going to be Bible exercise because there's, there's going to be a lot of different Psalms that we read. And so I'm going to put them up and we're going to talk through them. And we're just going to look at David's relationship with the Lord and how 
if we are called towards an upward relationship with God collectively as a collective body, we're going to look at David and what David's relationship with the Lord looked like. And so David is famously known as a man who is after God's own heart. And so in 1 Samuel 13, we see that introduced. And so I'll give you a little bit of context if you are flipping there um, so that you know if you're not familiar with David or you're not familiar with Samuel or you're not familiar with Saul, these are our three characters. So David, King David, was a significant uh, character in Scripture, and Jesus comes from the lineage of David. He comes from the seed of David, and this is prophesied. This is significant, and and God, out of David, he is through this long line of God bringing his people through, and he is this king that, that the Lord used and called. But before King David even arrived on the scene, there was a lot of other things that happened. Abraham and Abraham's sons, and, and there was Isaac and Jacob and Esau, and there was this long lineage of God birthing this nation, God birthing his people and promising these things to his people. And so before we get to King, as we arrive at 1 Samuel 13, God's people are asking for a king. As they've said, we, we've seen this, we've struggled, all these things have happened. God, they're, they're crying out and they're praying out to God to say, God, bring us a king. And so their mindset, as they think about asking for a king, they have a very worldly mindset on what a king should look like, what a king should do, who a king should be. And so they see other people groups, and they see that these people groups have kings, and they have kingdoms. Uh, And so they begin to ask God for a king, and for God to raise up a king. And they have a very specific idea in their mind of what that is to look like. And so God answers their prayers. And so through Samuel, who is a prophet, God says, I'm going to raise up a king. And so uh, God raises up uh, a man named Saul. And Saul fits the criteria of exactly what they wanted. He looks, he walks, he talks, he smells like a king. I mean, I imagine him, you know, the Burger King guy. Do you ever imagine people in the Bible? One time I, I used to do, when I was in college, I did, I worked at this Christian youth camp. And I said, what do you think God looks like? What do you think God looks like? And they give you the typical, oh, he's on a cloud and white hair. And that's what I think God looks like. One kid raised his hand. He said, I think God looks like the guy on the Pringles can. I was like, really, with the mustache? He's like, yeah, that's what God looks like. I'm like, well, maybe you're right, buddy. So when I picture Saul, I picture the Burger King guy with the big head. Like, he just looks like a character of a king. And that's how I picture Saul. I'm not sure that is correct or biblical um, or if that's even helpful to you. But I picture uh, the Burger King king. So here's Burger King Saul, and he looks and smells and looks like the part of a king. And the, the problem is, is that as God raises up, he answers this prayer. The problem is, is that Saul is a king in every sense of the word. And so as a king, Saul is after some very specific things. He's after his own success. He's after his own power. He's after his own authority. He's after his own reputation. And for Saul, those things are most important. And Samuel, this prophet of God, continues to tell Saul to be faithful, to trust in the Lord, to to obey the Lord, to to be patient and, and to seek after the Lord, to serve the Lord. But King Saul does not lead in that way. He leads like every other king has ever led. And uh, it leads to problems. And so here we arrive in 1 Samuel 13, and Samuel is giving Saul, Burger King Saul, the warning, 
like, hey, if you don't submit to the Lord, your reign is king and your kingdom is done. And you need to serve God and seek after God with, his, with all your heart. And so Samuel warns, he tells Saul, he says uh, in 12, in the song on the screen, he says, do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all of this evil, yet do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. He says, despite all of your selfishness, despite these evil things you've done, don't turn away from God and continue to serve him. And then he turns to God's people. Samuel then turns to the kingdom of sorts. And he says, be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all of your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. And so God gives this warning to his people through the prophet Samuel and says, basically, I'm warning you, you are on your last chance because because God won't put up with this any longer. And so enter into um, 1 Samuel 13. And as we read uh, Samuel and his lust for power, he has picked fights with a lot of people and and, uh, has created a lot of enemies. And one of those enemies is the Philistines. And they are ruthless. They are barbaric. They are um, very powerful and intimidating. So Saul begins to be fearful of these people. And Saul Saul begins to fear... um, these Philistines and who they are, and they're coming after King Saul. And so Samuel says, be patient, be faithful, trust in the God. I'm warning you, you cannot continue. And, and they, these are people that, ha- they have giants, supposedly. Supposedly they have a giant named Goliath that is gonna be a great warrior. That's way further on the story. So 1 Samuel chapter 13, Saul's warned, uh, Samuel's warned them and says, you need to wait. You need to wait on the Lord. You need to be patient. It says this in verse seven, Saul remained in Gilgal and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? Asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash, I thought now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So here is, here is Saul who hasn't been patient. He hasn't been faithful. He hasn't trusted the Lord. And as a last ditch effort, he's like, oh, we have the offerings. Yeah, let's burn those. Maybe the, and, and it's like this insurance card for him. And the truth is, of a lot of us, when we think about our relationship with the Lord, we have that same mindset, that same idea of God is an insurance policy. God is a safety net. God is a last resort of sorts that I'm gonna live my life and I'm gonna do everything I can to make sure I'm successful, make sure I'm well, make sure I'm protected, and I'm gonna do all of these things and then I have the Lord as my just-in-case. And that is how Saul was. As a last-ditch effort, he's like, oh, we should burn these offerings and we should do this thing, just, you know, in favor of the Lord. So verse 13 This is what Samuel says. You have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. 
If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's commandment. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much, Jesus, that kingdoms rise and fall. Powerful men and women and rulers and dictators, governments rise and fall. But you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, I thank you that your kingdom will reign for all time. And I thank you, Jesus, that we are invited, God, not to just be in that kingdom, but to be inheritors of the king that we get to call the king of all time, Father, Lord, Savior, Counselor, and that you know our name. You know the hairs on our head. God, that while we were still sinners, you first loved us. Jesus, I thank you that you are that king. I pray, Jesus, as we look through this scripture, God, as we leapfrog through the Psalms this morning, God, that you speak clearly to us to see what it means to be a church after your own heart. God, I pray that that wind would fill our sails to be a church after you, to be a people after your own heart. God, that we would seek that first. Jesus, I pray these things in your name. Amen. So King David is famously known as, as he's first introduced here. And this is First uh, Samuel 13. David is not anointed as king until chapter 16. And there's a whole story there. And it is one of my favorite. If you want to find something really fun to read in the Old Testament and dive in with First and Second Samuel, it's super cool. Anyways, so King David is famously known as a man after God's own heart. He's, he's called that here in 1 Samuel 13. Uh, Acts chapter 14, I believe, um, he is also called a man after God's own heart. And so that is how he is known. But if you know the story of David, there are lots of other things David could be known for. And so as we look at Scripture this morning, I want us to think about that calling, that concept of us being called to be a church after God's own heart. And if that's what we're to be known for from the Lord, as the Lord sees the vessel and sees this group of people that gather in his name, that we are people that are passionate about, about going after his heart. So King David was known by a man that's going after God's own heart. And he could have been known by other things. King David could have been known as uh, David, the king of the harp. As you uh, often know, he famously played the harp for uh, King Samuel and, and Second Samuel, I mean, King Saul, excuse me. In Second Samuel chapter 23, it says that he is the hero of Israel's song. He's really famous for the way he played the harp. And he's a musician I and mean, a worship leader at heart. And David could have been known by the king of the harp, but he is not known for that. He's not known for his talents, his skills, and the things that he does well. And neither are we. See, David is known as a man after God's own heart. David could have been known as the little brother. Is that when, when the Lord anoints David, when he uses Samuel to call out David uh, and to call him to be the king, um, 
that he's made to be is that David is the youngest of eight brothers. And are there any little brothers in the room? I'm a little brother. Any other? Me and Gary, that's it. There we go. Corbin, I know, bud. It's tough being a little brother. Uh, we have a little brother in our household, and it, it is tough being a little brother. And David is the youngest of eight, which is tough in general, but beyond that, especially in these times, that was really significant. And so um, David could have been known as David, the little brother, the one that was out in the fields that his father nearly forgot about. And he would be in good company if that's how he's known, because Jesus being born, of Na- being born in Nazareth, uh, Nathaniel famously said, what good can come from Nazareth? You see, but David wasn't known as a little brother. You see, he wasn't known for his reputation or his family. He was known as a man after God's own heart. David could have been known as the lonely shepherd. As we're gonna read through Psalms, many, if not most of the Psalms that he wrote were uh, written as he watched over and shepherded this flock of sheep. This, the, the, this flock that he was over his family. And that was his job. His job was a shepherd and it was not romantic. It was not glamorous. It wasn't significant, but that was what he did. And that was his job. You see, David's not known as a lonely shepherd. He is not known for what he did in his job in the position in the company or whatever he did that he held. He is known as a man after God's own heart. David could have been known as the slayer of giants. As most of us know, even if we've never been in church, the story of David killing Goliath just several chapters later. Um, But David was not known for his accomplishments. He wasn't known for the things that he did, for the championships that he won, for the victories he claimed in his life. He was known as a man after God's own heart. David also could have been known as David the adulterer, David, the stealer of wife and the murderer of husband, as he infamously lusted after Bathsheba and committed adultery and then sent her husband to die in battle. And when we look at scripture, it's the greatest of of all sins by our accounts. But David was not known for his sins and his shortcomings. He was known as a man after God's own heart. That is us. Is that we are not known by our accomplishments. We're not known by our failures. We're not known that the, of the title that we hold in our job. We are not known from the family and the reputation that we've come from. We are not known from these moments of sin and brokenness and addiction and suffering. But what the Lord sees when he sees us is he sees our hearts. He sees beyond all those things and he sees our hearts. And so the question is, is that why did God choose David? Why was David the one he chose to birth these people, to lead his kingdom, for him to be the throne and the, the reign of King David to reign forever, for the seed of Christ to come, from the Messiah to come from his family? And I want us to ask ourselves the same thing. Is that the, what does the Lord see in us? When, when we gather as a church and we call ourselves a vessel and we call ourselves a body of Christ, when he looks down as he is right now, what does he see? Does he see a fancy building? I mean, depends on what part of the country you live in. If you're in, you know, in Austin, I mean, we meet in this dirty old gym. 
If you're in Nicaragua, this is very glamorous because we have AC and running water. Does he see us as great musician or great teaching or, you know, great coffee or whatever it is? No, the Lord sees our hearts. And does he see a church that is running after his own heart? When we think about relationship with the Lord, we think about that we, us being called to have an upward relationship with God. It is a chasing after God. It's a giving our lives and our hearts towards going after him. And you can never outchase God. God chases you harder than you could ever chase him. God will never forsake you through the valley of the shadow of death till the ends of the earth. God will go after you and he will never forsake you. And that's what we're called. So we're gonna look at a few things through Psalms and we are gonna leap through this pretty quickly, hopefully, is that we're gonna look at what did David do that, that looked like going after his own heart. And I want you to know, we're gonna go like the deep cuts, right? We're gonna go like the, the, the deep cuts on David, not the obvious, not the joy, not the praise, not all those things, but the next level down, the things he did. And so as Jessica, our worship leader and I met, we, we're upward ministry. That's, our, that's every time we gather as a church in this room, that's our focus, is how do we, as, how does Jessica and I facilitate and lead through upward, upward relationship with God? And so we put a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of effort into that. And as we sat down and talked this week, we just talked through a few things that, I don't know, felt like deeper cuts that were just these next level things that we don't always consider. And so the first thing that we see David do is we see David lament. We see David lament. And to lament really means to cry out in pain. And so in this case, it's to cry out, to lament is to cry out to God in pain. Now, I, I probably, that's not the first thing you thought of when you thought of a relationship with God, with crying out to pain. Psalm 6, verse 3 says, My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Psalm 130, verse 1, a song of ascent. Out of the depths, I cry out to you, O Lord. Psalm 38, verses 8 through 11, I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, Lord. My sight is not hidden from you. My heart pounds. My strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Did you walk in this morning or, or, or log in this morning with that, with that posture of lamenting, crying out to the Lord. You see, we work so hard in Christian culture to portray a life that is free of anguish, that is free of pain, that is free of suffering, that is free of difficulty. What we want to see is I have Jesus and everything is okay. I'm happy. I never have a problem. I never have a worry. I don't have anxiety. I don't have depression. I don't have addiction. And all of these things, I'm free and I, I can walk down the road without all these things. Is that true? Let's re say, no, that's not true. King David said it's not true, right? Man, to look what it looks like to cry out to God. And to come in this room, and I know that we are walking through difficulty and anguish and pain. I want you to know the Lord wants it. The Lord wants those things. And this is what it looks like to walk the walk. And, and all of these things, 
deep anguish, crying out, crushed, groaned, my strength fails me. My neighbors avoid me because of COVID or other reasons. All of these things, this is weakness. This is weakness. But do you know that in your weakness, the Lord is made strong? Do you know that in your brokenness and your weakness, it glorifies God? To think that we can come into this room and we can bring our anguish and our pain and our struggle towards the Lord is powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Does that, does that resonate with anyone? Insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties, that's me, right? And to think that the Lord is made, his power is made perfect in me in that. And we're supposed to delight. It doesn't mean we walk in there like, hey, good morning. <laughs> Just struggling. And I'm, yeah, crushed, but, you know, barely here. I, you know, drug myself to church. It doesn't mean that. But it means that when we look at our lives and we look in the sake of the Lord and our relationship with him, we can say, wow, look at this. Look at how God's perfection, his love is made whole in me, even in my weakness, even in my failure. And so often we think to follow Jesus Christ is we've got to have it all buttoned up. We've got to have it all squared away. We've got to have no struggle. Then we can come before the Lord. You will never come to God that way. All your workings, all your doing, all your, your, your striving for health and happiness and goodness, you will never get there. It's that the Lord wants all that. That's powerful. It's what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus cried out in anguish as he died. My God, my God, what is it? Why have you forsaken me? That's from the Psalms. That's from David's mouth for him crying out in anguish even in that moment. You know, Shay and I, and we're going to talk next week about uh, the perfect idea of this relationship with God, the, most, the one that we can most understand is a, a marriage. And so Shay and I, in our lives, like we have grown closest in times of anguish. And we have grown most intimate together in moments where we've been struggling. And when we, when Barrett was born, he was in the NICU and they didn't know what was going on. His oxygen levels were low. And man, you want to know real relationship? Man, for us to sit down and just seek the Lord and to be scared and broken and fearful over what's happening with him. If you've ever buried a loved one, you know what that is. And the moments that we have sat and cried together over difficulties, over circumstances. And we can look back at all the vacations that we've been on and all the fun that we have, and we have a ton of fun. She is the funniest person in the world to me, and we laugh, and we have so much fun together. But the moments that mark us are the moments of, of difficulty and hardship. We lock arms and move through that together. The same is true about the Lord. The second thing that we see David do um, that I want to point out is to proclaim, is that David proclaims, is it, what it literally means is to publicly or officially announce something. Or in our case, when we're speaking, is to speak the truth about God. It's what we got doing, it's what we just finished doing this morning. Psalm 9, verse 1 says, for the director of music, worship, 
and the tune of death of the son, a psalm of David, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. And then the psalm goes on to tell about all the great things that God has done. Psalm 19, verse one, for the director of music, a psalm of David, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. That even creation proclaims the greatness of our God. And that is powerful. When Jesus is riding in to Jerusalem, um, when he's fulfilling the prophecy to go and to die as the Savior, Messiah, and to be crucified, um, as he's going in, they, they shout out, and it's, a, it's what we say, Hosanna in the highest. It's what we say on Palm Sunday. It's Palm Sunday. They're laying down palms, and, and the people are crying out to the Lord, to Jesus on the dog. He says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on the highest. That's Psalm 118. Those people are proclaiming Jesus the Messiah, coming in and fulfilling the prophecy. And the Pharisees, the Sadducees say, be quiet. That's blasphemy. And Jesus says to them, he says, if they don't cry out, the stones will. The very rocks will cry out of who I am. Man, creation in itself proclaim his glory and his majesty. Psalm 105, verse 1 and 2, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make know among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wonderful acts. And that's what we just did. We just did it three songs in a row for 20 minutes. You did that. We did that. And when we think about upper relationship with the Lord, that's not just like some pregame, like let's get some music going for the message. And, you know, like that's upward relationship with God. And that's what we do here on Sunday morning. We sing the song, Lord, you are good. Lord, you are good. Psalm 118, Lord, you are good. It's literally from the Psalms. Israel Houghton wrote that? No. I mean, he put it together, but the Lord wrote that through David. It's a proclamation. Your mercies endureth forever. Psalm 136, verse 1, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercies endureth forever. People from every nation and tongue, from generation to generation. Revelation 7. Let's go. We get them back up here. Revelation says and says, after this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes, all people, all languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And that we proclaim truth. That's powerful. This is a move. Mountains are still being moved. Strongholds are still being loose. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see it. That wonders are still what you do. Bodies are still being raised. Giants are still being slain. God, we believe it. Yes, we can see it. The wonders are still what you do. That's literally what Jesus has done. Those words we sing are literally what the Lord has done. We're proclaiming that truth. Sometimes we just miss that. We just miss the power of that moment. They think, well, I don't like that song. This isn't my favorite Sunday. I mean, I get it. Right? I want to go to a gospel church. This whole set this morning was all for me. That's why I loved it so much. We don't get to do that. They're true because Jesus said so. It's when we interact during service. Uh, uh, some good friends of ours, Pamela Bryant and them, were here a few weeks ago, and she leads this ministry downtown that we support. And 
we were, we were teaching, I was teaching, and she was in the back. She was like, hallelujah. Like she was like, oh, I don't do that here. I can't be loud. I can't say amen. It's why we do that on Sundays. If someone says amen or yes, Lord, or praise God or hallelujah, they're not saying that about me. They're saying that about the truth of the Lord. He is here. We are in his midst right now. And that when we hear truth about God, we say, God, amen. You are here in this room. We can say, yes, Lord, praise you, God. Hallelujah to those things. And all we're doing, when we say amen, I'm gonna pray at the end of this service, we're all gonna say amen. All that is, it's, it's, a, it's a proclamation of agreement over the truth about Jesus Christ. And so what I say about the Burger King guy and all that sort of stuff doesn't matter. What matters is what God says. What matters is what Scripture tells us. It's proclaiming who he is, and that's powerful. Amen? Yes. So good. The third thing we see him do is we see David, King David, petition. A petition is a formal request or appeal to someone that's in authority. For us as Christ followers, it's simply asking God for help, petitioning God for his help. Now, we think petition, for some reason, is like protest, that it has a negative or a complaining vibe to it. That's not petitioning. Scripture says that Jesus says, knock, and the door you open, ask, and you shall receive, seek, and you shall find. That we have the freedom to go to God and petition him on our behalf. And yes, we think that some reason that this is like protest. It's not like protesting. This isn't negative. We don't have to stand our ground and demand that the Lord does it. He wants to do those sort of things. And we think, when we think about the idea of protests, we've seen a lot of that in the past year. We've been faced with the right to assemble, our First Amendment right, our right to free speech, our right to protest, our right to freedom of press, to peacefully assemble, the freedom of religion. Raise your hand if you know that, know the First Amendment. No one? It's your First Amendment rights. People don't know that? Yeah, everyone knows that. People on Facebook surely do. They're like amendment professionals. What about the Eighth Amendment? Do you know the Eighth Amendment? Jameson does. Someone's paying attention in sixth grade history. Yeah, it's the Eighth Amendment is excessive bail shall not be required. So either you're in middle school history or you've had to pay an excessive bail and your Eighth Amendment has been violated, right? But we know as, as, as Americans, we know our rights. Like this is my right to America, my right to assemble, my right to free speech, my right to these things, freedom of press, freedom of religion. These are my rights as an American citizen. But do you know your rights as a kingdom citizen? Do you know those things? Do you bang your fist and say, this is my right as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Because that is more powerful than any amendment that you live under. Man, if we just held that with as, as much pride and vigor and passion as we did our right to free speech, man, that could do powerful things. Psalm 25, verse four says, make me know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you, I wait all the day long. This is a psalm of guidance and direction. This is petitioning God for his help. 
Proverbs tells us that the Lord's wisdom and understanding and his guidance is more precious than rubies, than gold, than silver, anything on this earth. And it is freely given. You can have the most valuable thing in eternity if you ask. The problem is you have to humble yourself so you can work through all of that. And I would believe, I would, I would suggest that this idea of teach me your past, lead me in your truth, teach me, Lord, this is one of the first things that we learn to pray. I asked my 10-year-old daughter this week, I said, babe, what have you been praying about lately? Have you been praying lately? She said, yeah, I have. I said, what have you been praying about? She said, well, I prayed for my test, that I do well on my test. And I laughed. I said, well, that's good, right, that I do my best. But this is one of the first things we learn to do. Lord, help me. I'm going to fail. Right? This is like the most, this is an introductory prayer, but it's true. We can petition God. It doesn't work as a guarantee for you to pass your test. That's a whole other message for a whole other day. Psalm 71 says, be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the commands to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Is that we find protection. We can petition God for his protection over our lives. Psalm 20, verses four and five. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill your plans. May we shout for joy over salvation in the name of the God. Set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Do you know your heart's desire? Seriously, do you know the desire of your heart? I think sometimes we think we do. But I think the problem is, is that we, can, we confuse the desire of our heart with the desire of our flesh. Say, God, your word says you give me the desires of my heart. I want to raise. And I'm not saying that desire to raise is bad, but the Lord knows your heart. That's what he knows. He knows the desires of your heart. And his word promises us that we can go to him, we can petition and we can declare and ask him to give us the desires of our hearts. We may think, God, why aren't you answering my prayer? It might not be the, the desire of your heart and you may not know it. And when he says this, he says, fulfill all your plans. What it really means is purpose. That's a poor translation. Where are we? Right here. Make all your plans succeed. What it really means is God, fulfill your purpose in my life. That is submission. That is emptying ourselves to be a vessel to say, God, fill me and use me how you see fit. We'll move on to the last one, his presence. We see David pursue God's presence. His, a presence literally is a person or a thing that exists in a place but is unseen. Amen? Literally to be in the presence of God, and that is a big, big, big deal. Before Jesus Christ, to be in the presence of the Lord, you had to go behind a veil, and they used to tie a bell around your foot and a rope around your ankle, so if you went in and you died in the presence of God, that they could drag you out, because they were too fearful to go behind that curtain. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, when he said, it is finished, the veil was torn. And God's presence was made available to every single person. You don't have to be a priest. You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be righteous. His presence and to be in his midst is made available. And that's what upward ministry with the Lord looks like. That is a big, big deal. Big deal. 
and it's a, it's a, it's a kingdom right. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, it's one of our rights, the presence of God that King David didn't have. Psalm 42, 1 and 2 says, As the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul longeth after you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? See, this is an eagerness in David. David is eager to be in the presence of the Lord. And the truth is that we often exchange eagerness for impatience. David is eager to be with God, not impatient. We live in an instant world. And we are impatient on the presence of God. Is that I'm reading through a Bible plan right now, and it's really good. And it's you read the Bible in a year, and it's through an app, and I love the way it's laid out. It's really good. And they do it for you. They make it so easy. And guess what? I'm four or five days behind. I'm like, oh, come on. And it is so simple. I did one this morning. It was, it was 20 minutes. It shows you that we fill our time and our schedule so much that we don't have time, and we're so impatient We want an instant relationship with God. We don't just seek his presence. Do you remember Saul? Remember he didn't wait? He was impatient. He wasn't eager, he was impatient. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. We're gonna be still for five seconds right now and just be in the presence, the idea that we know that he is God. Ready? Way to be patient. Amen. Thank you. Psalm 22, verse 1, a song of ascent of David. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us together go to the house of the Lord. That is what we do here on Sunday. I'm going to, if the worship team, if you guys would come back up, we're going to finish out. Psalm 84, verse 10 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousands elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I want you to know that his presence is enough. As we come on Sunday morning, as we gather in this room and in his midst, all we're doing is getting into his presence. It's simply being with him without agenda, without some sort of ulterior motive to just come and to sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's powerful that we get to do that. And I want you to know that if, imagine if we come in every Sunday and we gather together in his midst and we, and we treat it like a meeting. This is a meeting. We're going to meet with God. Shay, do we have meetings? We do because we work together. That doesn't count. But imagine if your spouse, like you, when you spent time with them, you're like, it's in a meeting and we have a meeting agenda. And we've got to go down. That's no relationship. And so I want you to know that that's what upward ministry looks like. It looks like being in relationship with God, being in his presence, going after him without agenda, to just let him be God and let you be you and to proclaim his truths. And I want you to know that if you are here this morning and you do not know that, that Jesus, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know Christ as your savior, He wants to be with you. When I came to faith in Christ, I was a teenager and I was at this youth camp and the verse, James 4, 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I took that, I took that on. I said, okay, I'm gonna literally move towards God with my heart and see what happens. And I will tell you, it was the parable of prodigal son. If you know that parable in Luke 15, 
You experience that when you come to faith in Christ. That the son that has walked away, that has left the father, that is, that is at rock bottom, he says, I will go back to my father's house. I'll be a servant. And he stands up. He takes a timid, an unsure, and a shameful step towards his father. And scripture says the father girds up his robe. He pulls his robe up and he runs to his son. If you don't know Jesus, to repent means to literally just turn away from your, your, your ways and the, the imprisonment of sin and to turn and take a step towards God and he will run to you. And it says that the father fell on his neck. He put a robe on his back, a ring on his finger, sandal on his feet, killed the fattened calf. He said, my son has returned. So I want to encourage you. We are a church that is after God's own heart. That's who we are. We're not perfect. We're not okay. It's not always well with our soul. We struggle. We grow. We bear together. But we go after God. Let's stand and let me pray and let us just worship the truth about who Jesus is. Thank you for joining us this morning for our service. We are publishing content throughout the week for Church at Home through our social media and website. For more information, visit www.vessel.church.